Hi, and welcome to the Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dotson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on an intense Miraville Town Council meeting. Jenny Lindsay reports on an approved bill that would place restrictions on transgender girls' participation in school sports. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Latanya Woodson and Dr. Roland Walker of Edgewater Health about an upcoming event that would help get kids back on track with their shots. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. The head of the Indiana Fraternal Order of Police is calling for a Miraville Town Council member to apologize after a discussion on license plates readers apparently led to disparaging remarks about police. Council member Donald Spann said, quote, we hate cops during the January 11th council meeting. When the council met again last Tuesday, state FOP President Bill Owensby called Spann's comments a slap in the face to the state's 13,000 police officers. There still should be an apology. He still should be on record as to what his feelings are about the law enforcement officers that he, as an elected official, protects and, and sees over in this community. That's what I expect. That's what these men and women expect. But Span declined to comment. Mr. Span, did you want to address the group at all? Nope. Okay. Many of those in attendance at the meeting acknowledged that Span's apparent joke was in poor taste, but some felt the response was different compared to when photos surface of a council member wearing blackface. Maryville resident Darian Collins is the political action chair for the Gary NAACP. You have come here like a lynch mob against this man, and this is terrible. What he said, he did not mean. And what he said was from a cultural standpoint that none of you understand. None of you understand it. In other business, council members rescinded their appointment to the Merrifield Police Commission and instead appointed Republican Mike Rich to maintain the commission's political balance. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. NIPSCO, Northwest Indiana's electric and natural gas utility, is looking for a new home in Northwest Indiana, which is in line with efforts to give its employees a better working environment. The company's current headquarters are on East 86th Street along I-65 in Maryville. NIPSCO's Director of Communications, Wendy Lucier, told the Times' Joseph Pete that they are currently in the very early explorative phases of the search. Any changes would likely begin in 2024. The utility told employees in a recent email that the new headquarters would align with its new hybrid workplace model in which some employees work remotely from home. Both NIPSCO and its parent company, NYSource, have several hundred employees in the Merrillville headquarters, which reportedly used to be a prudential insurance building and was extensively renovated for its present use. NIPSCO currently has about 820,000 natural gas and 420,000 electric customers in northern Indiana. 
You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Federal records show that contract talks between the East Chicago Mayor Anthony Copeland and the city's professional firefighters, Local 365, have broken down. They were trying to resolve a two-year labor dispute. The Times reports it's now up to Judge Philip Simon to decide if he will issue an injunction restoring the firefighters' work schedule to 24 hours on duty, followed by 48 hours off-duty. The negotiations reportedly ended January 18th. 38 members of the firefighters' union sued the mayor last year, claiming he imposed a punitive swing shift schedule that requires them to work three days before getting the next 24 hours off. The firefighters claimed that the mayor did so in retaliation for their political support of Democratic mayoral candidate John Aguilera's unsuccessful 2019 bid to upset Copeland's re-election bid as mayor. The mayor denies the allegation. He said he made the change to try to balance the city budget. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Two Northwest Indiana legislators voted in support of a bill this session that would protect young human trafficking victims and strengthen criminal penalties against perpetrators. Republican State Representatives Julie Otoff of Crown Point and Michael Ellsworth of Hebron support the measure which Otoff co-authored. It would allow young victims to provide recorded video statements instead of physically testifying in a courtroom where they are forced to relive past trauma. Otoff also said the bill would also close a legal loophole that allows individuals who pay a victim directly for sex acts to receive a lighter sentence. Ellsworth, a member of the House Courts and Criminal Code Committee, said human trafficking is a growing industry and a horrific crime which he says needs to be addressed as soon as possible. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Lake County Sheriff Oscar Martinez Jr. is suing the county commissioners, saying he wants a court to allow him to sign his own contracts for the Lake County Jail without having to get commissioners' permission. The Times reports that at issue is the contract to provide medical care to the approximately 656 inmates locked up in the jail. Martinez signed the contract and the services are continuing, but Lake County Auditor John Patalas declined to pay CHI because it was not approved by the commissioners. The sheriff says the county council approved the funds for the payment. The sheriff does not claim in his lawsuit that the General Assembly assigned him independent contracting powers, but he says his duty by statute is to, quote, take care of the county jail and the prisoners there. And a ruling from the state appellate court from Marion County would give Martinez the de facto authority to enter into all jail-related contracts on his own. Commissioner Mike Ripe says in response to the lawsuit that Martinez, quote, continues to waste money, this time through needless litigation, end quote. 
You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A caucus will be held on February 5th in Highland to select someone to replace State Senator Frank Mervan, who announced his retirement earlier this month after 43 years of public service. Mervan said in a statement that he looks forward to, quote, spending more time with all of his supportive family members, children, and grandchildren in retirement. He is the father of Congressman Frank Mervan. Lake County Democratic Party Chairman Jim Weiser said there are approximately 105 eligible to vote for the candidate at the caucus at the Wicker Park Social Center in Highland. They'll hear a brief presentation from each candidate and then cast their votes by voting machine. To win, a candidate has to win 50% of the vote plus one. Last September's redrawing of the legislative district maps forced Mervan to either move or to run against fellow Democrat Senator Lonnie Randolph. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The House has voted overwhelmingly to tighten the law on what constitutes rape. Network Indiana's Eric Berman reports. Attica Republican Sharon Nagel says someone slipped into a Purdue student's room and pretended to be her boyfriend. Her bill would make clear if someone impersonates a consenting partner, that's still rape. House Bill 1079 addresses a very rare situation, so the language is very narrow. We make it very clear that if someone poses as the victim's normal consensual partner, they are removing the victim's right to even consent. The bill also clarifies a woman can make clear through words or actions she doesn't consent. Nagel says different judges have been interpreting the law differently. Eric Berman, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Attorney General Todd Rokita is suing Google. Network Indiana's Shaila Kabalan reports. The lawsuit, filed Monday, aims to punish Google for violations of the Indiana Deceptive Consumer Sales Act. It also aims to ensure consumers can control how their personal data is managed. Rakita joins the attorneys general of D.C., Texas, and Washington State, all of whom are also filing lawsuits against Google over their mishandling of location data. Shaila Kabalan, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Statewide restrictions would be placed on transgender girls' participation in school sports under a bill approved by some Indiana lawmakers Monday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jenny Lindsay reports protests erupted in the House chamber after a committee voted for the bill to advance. That's what the House Education Committee heard following its approval of House Bill 1041. The bill would ban transgender girls from participating in girls' school sports. Public testimony mostly opposed the bill. Kit Malone with the ACLU of Indiana says it will hurt vulnerable kids who want a sense of belonging. This bill bans kids from playing soccer with their friends. Bill author Representative Michelle Davis says it's about preserving fairness in girls' sports competitions. But the bill doesn't say anything about ensuring equal funding or scholarships for women's sports and athletes. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jeannie Lindsay. The bill now heads to the House floor. 
You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. As the latest COVID surge continues, some states have scaled back contact tracing efforts. Side Effects Public Media's Steph Whiteside looks at the situation in southern Illinois where many report confusion and a lack of guidance from health officials. Jamie White and her younger sons tested positive for COVID a couple of days before New Year's. When we talked the following week, she said she had yet to receive any calls or emails about what to do. When I tried to reach the health department, I was told they're no longer doing contact tracing and was given a phone number to call, but that number never picks up. It's a stark contrast to her husband and oldest son who tested positive just a few days earlier. They were quickly connected with a contact tracer. You know, she um, sent paperwork telling, you know, like, you have it. Here's how long your quarantine is. This is when you're released. Several local health departments in southern Illinois announced that the state's surge center would be taking over contact tracing by mid-January. In the meantime, many say they've been left without any guidance from anyone. Jeremy Rosine says his son got COVID around Christmas time, and it was night and day from his experience in 2020. Because when I tested positive, I was bombarded. Um, I remember getting multiple phone calls from the health department, different people contacting me, not realizing others had already done so, which is a stark contrast from what what we've experienced recently, where I can't get a hold of anyone, even when I'm the one making the effort. Others I spoke with say they're confused about recent changes in the CDC's quarantine guidelines. Megan Jarrett says when she and her kids tested positive, she wasn't contacted until a full week later, after her isolation period had already ended. She's also been frustrated, trying to get documentation to prove to her boss that she was required to isolate and miss work. If I don't have documentation, I can lose my job. And it's, it's a terrifying, terrifying thought. That worries me because people could lose their livelihoods over this. Turns out, Jarrett's local health department is no longer providing letters of documentation, and she's been unable to get a letter from the state or her physician. Bart Hagston is a public health administrator in Jackson County, Illinois. He says right now, several factors are creating a perfect storm. The giant spike in cases of COVID, the state centralizing the contact tracing, the CDC changing the isolation and quarantine guidance, and testing, especially access to home tests, not being what it needs to be right now. So you've got all of these factors converging right now, making uh, a pretty big mess, frankly. A spokeswoman for the state health department said in an email that the surge in cases has made it difficult to circle back and issue documentation to people who need it, but the agency expects people to follow the CDC's latest isolation guidance. Jamie White, whose kids tested positive in late December, said she wasn't clear on when it would be safe for her family to be out in public again. They played it safe, but she's worried not everyone will do the same. The more frustrating part is knowing that no one is receiving any guidance right now. So are people just kind of deciding for themselves when they should quarantine or a time when maybe it would be really good to have guidance because everyone is testing positive and nobody's really sure what to do. White says no one has asked her who she's been in contact with before she got sick and the link she was sent told her to notify close contacts herself. State officials say with more than 200,000 cases a week, it's not possible to trace all close contacts. For now, they're prioritizing high-risk cases and people 65 and older. Local health officials say they're also triaging cases. I'm Steph Whiteside, Side Effects Public Media.
You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. Here's regionally speaking host Chris Nolte with a conversation with Latanya Woodson and Dr. Roland Walker of Edgewater Health about an upcoming event to help get kids' immunizations back on track. There are more youngsters than you realize that because of the pandemic have not gotten their regular shots, which in turn any other time would protect them from very serious illnesses. So there's going to be a special event coming up on February 19th in the city of Gary to try to resolve that. And with us to talk about what is being called Back on Track, we have with us LaTanya Woodson. She's the Director of Community Health Education with Edgewater Health. And also from Edgewater Health, we have the Chief Medical Officer, who just happens to be the City of Gary's Health Commissioner, Dr. Roland Walker. He's a pediatrician. And thank you both for being with us on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thank you for having us, sir. Thank you. Yes. Tell us first, if you will, uh, Dr. Walker, how the City of Gary seems to stand these days uh, with uh, having young people try to get their shots. We have enough concerns about COVID-19 and uh, for those who are eligible to get vaccine, to, for them to be vaccinated. But how about the all the regular things, and you're aware of just from your daily practice as a, a pediatrician, that young people have to have either before they go to school or while they're in school? So it sets up an interesting challenge for us, right, because people are less likely to come out and go to uh, places where there's going to be a, a gathering, whether it be a, a, a medical office or any other type of entertainment. So, so when they come to the medical office, it's really important that not only that they get their vaccination, but they get their health maintenance checks, because for pediatric population, it's really important that we are establishing, you know, how a child is doing psychosocially, uh, developmentally, uh, physical development, emotional development, educational development. So all of those things during a pandemic uh, are blunted, right? And so with that, uh, the immunization rate, pediatric immunization rate has fallen a bit, particularly in the inner city during the pandemic time. Mm-hmm. I know that the State Department of Health has the records that they get for all the school districts uh, on these topics, and I understand that for the Gary Community Schools in particular, they have listed that 53% of the K-12 through students in the school district have not received all their required shots, and that's more than double, of, or almost double, uh, what uh, the statewide average is, which is uh, just about 26% of K-12 through students that uh, don't have all their regular shots. So I can see it's especially important uh, within the city of Gary uh, to be able to make sure that all the young do, but are you hoping uh, as well that uh, this Back on Track uh, event coming up on uh, February 19th will uh, will bring in some other youngsters from some of the other surrounding school districts as well? Well, so first of all, as, as health commissioner, let me just say that 26% mm-hmm. statewide is way too high. Um, I know the statistics have been given 50, 53% in Gary. I'm not exactly sure how accurate that is. I know in my office we work really hard to make sure the kids get their shots. Yeah. And we, we do a lot of calls. But whatever the number it is, it is way too high. Uh, we are definitely going to welcome people from other school districts, other areas. Uh, the, the goal, no matter where a kid is from, to make sure that they are properly immunized. Um, and, and then it also this helps us educate the public as a whole, right? Now, we're doing this time where everybody talks about vaccine mandates. I, I never use that word. I always use vaccine requirements, which been something that we've done almost since the beginning of time. Uh, we have a lot of information about all vaccines, including COVID. Um, but these are similar arguments you heard about polio, right? And now you don't have these iron lung wars you used to see back in the 40s and 50s. You just don't see that anymore. As people get more educated and become more comfortable, they vaccinate. What I've found is, is that people are more likely to vaccinate their children than they are to vaccinate themselves. 
And a lot of that just has to do with people's own, even if it's adult, their fear in vaccinations. But because of those vaccination requirements mm-hmm. for schools, it's more likely that the children um, receive those vaccinations. We see that as an opportunity also to screen for those other things. That's why at this event, it's more than just a vaccination event. It was very, very important to me that we also be able to give health maintenance visits at this at this time. Um, and so we're offering a lot of things to make sure that we can screen for health maintenance visits. Uh, we're doing COVID testing. We're doing COVID vaccination. We're doing childhood vaccinations. And then we're going to have lots of little things to entice people to come so that we can assess where they are in their immunization status mm-hmm. and try and service them as best as possible. Well, Tanya, if you will, tell us how things are getting set up here within uh, the, Edgewood, the Edgewater Health Organization to, uh, to get ready for this, uh, this big back-on-track event. Yes, um, here at Edgewater, our uh, CEO and president, Dr. Uh, Danita Johnson-Hughes, we are all here um, waiting and we are planning a huge team that will be here on um, Saturday, February the 19th, beginning at 11 o'clock to 2 Mm o'clock. The uh, pre-registration form is up on our website you can visit our website at edgewaterhealth.org to um, complete the registration form. Uh, we encourage that so that we'll know exactly how many people will be attending. But, of course, if you're uh, ready to come on the day of, we welcome you. We'd like to also thank our partners, which is MD Wise, who is the funding sponsor for this event the um, medical, uh, Walker Medical Center, Indiana Department of Health, and, of course, uh, we're going to have um, other things that we're going to be, um, that's going to be occurring for that day. So we're really, really, mm-hmm. really excited um, for Saturday, February the 19th. Now, besides the opportunity for the young people to come in and get uh, the, the shots the, that they need to get caught up, uh, what other things are going to be available for them and for their family members at the event? So, again, as Dr. Walker indicated, the goal of the vaccination and wellness event is to give school-age children and their parents the opportunity to receive the COVID-19 vaccination. Mm-hmm. Uh, while there, they will have the opportunity to receive covid 19 booster shots, rapid testing, blood pressure checks, and to also speak with the clinical representative regarding any um, questions or concerns they may have with their children receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. Dr. Walker, since you have the opportunity uh, by uh, being the uh, the chief medical officer of uh, Edgewater, Edgewater Health to, to be able to uh, to help set things up like this, do you find that this has uh, become easier, certainly, in your role as uh, the, the city of Gary's health commissioner? One of the things I like to do is make sure that people are working in collaboration. So MDY's contacted me about two months ago on this issue mm-hmm. uh, in my capacity as health commissioner. And so the city of Gary was ready immediately to step out and provide vaccinations, uh, pediatric vaccinations and the adult vaccinations for COVID for this event. Um, Edgewater is the perfect place in terms of location in the city of Gary and space to host this event. So we thought that that was a great marriage. So I'm very appreciative to the Gary Health Department who will be providing the, the, the immunizations 
Um, the mayor, um, Jerome Prince, greatly appreciative to him for supporting this event. Very appreciative to Dr. Danita Hughes and Edgewater for hosting this event. And then all the employees at Walker Medical who will be providing health maintenance and, and helping along with the immunizations. The event. So it's a great marriage of a lot of different organizations. As well as now, as of yesterday, I was also speaking with WDS, who wants to come and provide some services, and that is Denise Dillard, one of the people in our community that does a lot of work, so appreciative to her as well. That's great. Now, LaTanya, let me ask you, uh, you mentioned here about uh, the fact that, that folks can, uh, they, they're encouraged to to register for the event. They don't have to. They can show up. Uh, if they do show up, if their families show up, are there any things in particular that they need to bring if they come to the event uh, uh, coming up on, on the, the 19th? We're just asking that everyone will wear a mask just for uh, safety purposes. But no, we will make sure that everything is taken care of. Again, if you would like to register, pre-register, you will um, um, go ahead to edgewaterhealth.org or you may call 219-885-4264, extension 4704, and someone will be there to answer your phone call. That's great. Again, Edgewater Health is located 1100 West 6th Avenue, right here in Gary, Indiana. So, yes, we are looking forward to serving the public on that day. May I add something? And yes. that is, if you have the child's immunization record, to please bring that. Now, if you don't have it, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean don't come. But yeah. if you have it, please bring it, because not only will that speed up the process, but particularly now, we service a lot of people from Illinois and Indiana. So we have a lot of kids that are coming over from Chicago, and so it makes it a little bit more difficult to obtain their immunization records. So we ask if you have a copy to please bring that with you. That will help speed up the process, and it'll be better for your child. Now, I know, too, there will be some uh, some individuals and certainly maybe some family members that might need some help in, in getting to the event. They need some help with transportation. How can they get some help? Well, a letter is being sent to uh, the local churches asking pastors to assist us with uh van uh, transportation. That's great. So a letter is going out to the faith-based community, and we're looking forward to receiving some um, responses back pertaining to that. Also, um, Gary um, Transportation Corporation has always been a great partner. So that would be something, you know, this is fluid. We'll reach out to them as well because they've always been a great partner for events like this. That's great to hear. It sounds like that everybody is just about ready to uh, to get ready for the Back on Track event coming up on uh, Saturday, February 19th. That's going to be happening at uh, the Edgewater Health Operation, which is once again located in Gary. And... Uh, we have with us to talk about it uh, two representatives, actually, from uh, Edgewater Health. We have the chief medical officer, who happens to be the city of Gary Health Commissioner, Dr. Roland Walker, and Latanya Woodson, who is uh, the director of community health education for Edgewater Health. Thank you very much for being with us to give us great information. We hope a lot of people are taking advantage of this opportunity to make sure their youngsters are properly vaccinated as they would normally would be, uh, usually uh, sometime in, in the summer, I'm sure, before the start of school year, but uh, not this time around. They, they haven't got it because, of course, the uh, the pandemic has gotten in the way, but they're hopefully going to try and catch up. Thank you both for being with us to talk about this today. Thank, Thank you, you for so having, much us. For having us here.
Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte can be heard each Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org where you can also find podcasts of the show when you click on the program link. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by bensound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm D. Dotson.